0: Well, thank
1: moments if you don't mind this evening and just greet one another in the Lord before we have uh, our time of prayer so you just take a few moments and just greet those around you this evening amen let's let's remain standing this evening we're going to go to the lord in prayer uh, we have quite a few requests that we need to bring before you uh, we received a phone call right before church tonight that miss ann Kraus's uh, husband Uh, took a little bit of a fall and uh, he is currently being checked out at the hospital right now Uh, we don't know all the details she said it'd probably be another half hour or so before she would know Uh, so that's why she's not here this evening and so she specifically asked for us to have prayer uh, for us and uh, Miss Katrina that uh, sits with Miss Beulah, she reached out today she is uh, battling some sickness but has also some things going on in her family's lives uh, that she uh, asked us to. It's kind of an unspoken request, but wanted us to make mention of that as well. So we're going to ask you to let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll jump right back into worship this evening. So let's pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, Lord, we worship you in this place, the Lord. We know, Lord, there's a lot of people that have a lot of things going on in their lives today. Lord, we know people like Miss Ann right now are sitting in a hospital waiting room, waiting to find out, Lord, what it's may have caused the fall of her husband and if lord if there's any uh, broken bones or any issues lord that's regarded from that fall lord we have also heard lord from miss Katrina tonight lord who is sick in body and not feeling too good but also lord not only not feeling well but has got some unspokens in her family lord that she just needs a touch from the lord and needs the lord to intervene in a special way lord and i pray lord i'm sure that there is many in this house today that has some unspoken prayer requests and some heavy hearts and things that are there battling with as well but Lord you know the need even if they weren't mentioned Lord we know there are some in our church like Bonnie still battling cancer Lord and uh, Brother Carson and his family Lord that have some health issues that they're dealing with Lord but you're able to do exceedingly abundantly above that which we can think or comprehend according to your word in Christ Jesus Lord as we get ready to worship you in this place that everything that we do Lord every word that is uh, proclaimed and every song that is sung God will bring glory and honor into your name for that, we give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Christ's name, we pray and ask these things. And the people of God said amen. And This next song simply says, come, now is the time to worship. So let's worship the Lord tonight. I mm-hmm. Father we acknowledge and we honor that you are King Jesus and throughout eternity we shall sing your praises we magnify and we glorify the name that is above every other name and that is the name of Jesus Christ our Lord Father as we get ready to segue and break the bread of life today would you speak to our hearts open our eyes and our ears let us not just be hearers of the word but doers of the word And Lord, forever we will praise you and glorify and magnify the name of the Lord. And the people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated briefly in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to go with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter number 10, 2 Kings chapter number 10. And once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. 2nd Kings chapter number 10 we're going to begin reading there in verse number 18 2 Kings chapter 10 and verse 18 we're going to look at a very familiar passage of scripture, many of you know this scripture very well you probably quoted it or read it before maybe even know a lot about it and uh, we want to bring it back to your remembrance tonight, 2 Kings chapter number 10, while you're turning there, let me just plug again, VBS, if you haven't already signed up, or you haven't let us know that you're willing to work, we would like to know that, so we can make mention, uh, make a, uh, a, res, a recognition, recognition, I'll get it right in a minute, of that, so we can order your t-shirts and all that stuff, if you're interested in having one of those. Also, camp meeting's coming up. Make sure you do that. Don't forget to continue to join us on our series. Uh, uh, Once upon a time next week, we will have a different character. Uh, You don't know who will come out the closet next, so you're not going to want to miss it. It can be anything from Beauty and the Beast, Sleeping Beauty, uh, Cinderella, Snow White, and the Seven Dwarfs. I won't tell you who's bashful, dopey, or sleepy, but I'll let you figure that out in the sermon. I I don't know who it will be, but you'll you'll, want to make sure you're... uh, up to date with all of that as well second kings chapter number 10 verse 18 and we're going to read this together then jehu gathered all the people and said to them ahab served baal a little but jehu shall serve him much more now summon all the prophets of Baal all of his worshippers, all of his priests let no one be missing for I have a great sacrifice for Baal whoever is missing shall not live but Jehu did this in a cunning manner so that he might destroy the idolatry worship of Baal and Jehu said sanctify a solemn assembly for Baal and they proclaimed it then Jehu sent throughout Israel and all the worshippers of Baal came and there was not one man left who did not come and when they went into the house of Baal it was filled one to another and he said to the one who was in charge of the wardrobe bring out the clothes the garments for the worshipers of Baal so he brought out the garments for them Jehu went into the house of Baal with Jehonadab the son of Rechab and he said unto the worshipers of Baal Search and see that there is not anyone among you that is missing of the servants of the Lord but only the worshipers of Baal Make sure all of God's people are out of the way Get everybody out of the house that don't belong there You get all of God's people clear and just leave the worship of Baal only Verse 24, and when they went in to offer the sacrifices and burnt offerings, Jehu stationed, had stationed for himself 80 men outside, and he said, the one who permits any of these men who I bring in your hands to escape shall give up his life in exchange, meaning if you let them get out and they escape, you're going to take their place. That's a, pretty, that's a pressure-packed situation right there. Then it came about, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt sacrifice that Jehu, said to the guard and to the royal officers, go in and kill them and let none of them come out. And they came and killed them with the edge of the sword, and the guard and the royal officers threw them out, and they went into the inner room of the house of Baal. They brought out the sacred pillars out of the house of Baal, and they burned them. They broke down the sacred pillars of Baal, and they broke down the house of Baal. They destroyed the whole thing, the pillars, the vestibule, the whole house. They just demolished it all the way down to the ground. To this day, it still is in that situation. One says it was a draught house, or if you look at another translation, it says a latrine to this day. They made it a waste field, a wasteland. Thus, Jehu eradicated or destroyed Baal out of Israel. I want to talk for a few moments on God's bailout plan. God's bailout plan. Because we're living in a society right now where everybody else has a plan how to get us out of the mess we're in. But I come to, to tell somebody online or in-house, but... Uh, Their plan ain't going to work as good as if God bails us out of this thing. God's got a better bailout plan. Now, some people have a -A B-A-I-L out plan. You know, we'll give you more money. We'll give you a stipend, a stimulus, a promotional check. We'll give you something. But when God bails you out, he don't have to ask for a refund. He already makes good on his promise. He knows how to make sure it gets done the right way. Heavenly Father, to the very best of my ability, help me to preach your word to the people of God. I will forever give you the praise, the glory, and the honor that is due your name. Hide me behind the cross of Calvary and let me speak what only your word needs to be said. And for that, I'll give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. Let us not be hearers only, but doers thereof of this word. In Christ's name we pray. The people of God said amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord this evening. God's bailout plan. See, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist in this building tonight to understand that we are living in a society today that is in an that is in an economic turmoil and of an all-time crisis. We're living in as some theologians would say perilous times are among us. In fact some some theologians or, or, or some folks that even maybe some preachers or, or would, would have you to believe that, we need to start doomsday prepping already. In fact, uh, I, uh, I pick on uh, uh, my in-laws sometimes uh, because they have MREs at their house, you know, like you store up. I mean, like doomsday preppers. I mean, we've got boxes. And they And uh, I said before I got uh, married to Brian, I always said if something tragic happened, I'd go to Brother Randy and Sister Carol's because they have a supermarket at their house. They don't even have to go to the grocery store. They are the grocery store. They have everything. I mean, they have all kinds of, they got, they got 14 different styles of potatoes that can be made with water and a little bit of heat in a, in a pre-made package. I mean, they got all kinds of stuff. I didn't even know you could eat food like that. Well, when I got close to Bren and her family and I started doing I went to one, the office, and I saw these big totes that had dates on them. And I thought, wow, that must be like what they did as children in 2007 or what they did as children in 2008. No, no. That's when those were bought for MREs. They were they were doomsday prepper prepping. Now they weren't doing that, but they knew they might need to breathe. And just the other day we were cleaning out a closet in Brianna's old room trying to get all her stuff. And I saw May eleventh, twenty twenty two, so I asked her mom, I said, Oh, is this when these were going to expire? She said, No, I just bought them just in case we needed those too. I was like, What about the room across the hall? We've got plenty. She was like, You never have too many And I'm like, Okay. I have I have zero. I'll just come eat with y'all. That's what we'll do. I'll go eat with Brother Randy one night, and I'll go to Brandon's mom one night, and I can get two different meals. I mean, it's like going to a restaurant. But these are these, they plan, but we know that we're living in a day and an hour right now that's in economic turmoil or crisis. You've got those that are doomsday preppers. You've got all these people that are prepared for the worst. If there's ever been a need to, needed to be a reminder of how bad it is, just go fill up your gas tank. You'll be reminded how bad we really are right now. I have never put $80 in a tank of gas in my entire life till this past week, and I thought to myself, I hate my car. I used to love my car. I used to have a Toyota Corolla, and I used to think this is a squatty little vehicle. And when I, and I used to like it. It got good gas mileage. I could fill that thing up back in the day for about 25 30 bucks. I used to think, wow, that's so cool. But then when I got the Honda Pilot, and it had all the bells and whistles, and it had the, the TV inside of it, and the navigation, and had all the cool stuff in it, I thought, yeah, I have arrived. That little Toyota Corolla is a piece of junk now. I mean, I could, I got, I drive, you know, one of these uh, uh, monster trucks. I could just go over the top of that Corolla. I mean, I'm driving a man's car now. Hey, well, I'm not ready for trucks yet. I haven't got that far yet. I'm still working. I had to go from a little car to an SUV, maybe a truck one day. But it's, I'm progressing. I'm working out my salvation with fear and trembling in a progressive sanctification state. And so I loved it, except when I went to the gas station the other day, brother Larry. When that thing clicked over to $81 before it shut off, I thought to myself, God I miss my Corolla. thought I never would hear me other those words in my life. And then I thought to myself, somebody out there that bought that little gray piece of heaven is probably thanking God they bought it now and I'm over here feeling like, oh I should have kept you. you know I I, I I think about all those little TV commercials where it's like those long lost loves and things like that, you know, and they play all these little sad songs to get you to want to buy the little puppy on the SPCA commercials where you see the little girl across the field and it's like slow motion. She's running towards the love of her life and they envelop and they just spin around and the tulips and the daisies. I thought to myself, if I ever found my Corolla, that would be what that moment would feel like. I did think that, actually. Because I... Used to be thinking, oh, man, fifty bucks, ah oh, it's all right. It's a, it's a SUV, man. I drive have a real car. At eighty dollars, I thought you can have this real car. It's junk. Because at four dollars and nine cents, or four dollars and nineteen cents, and some places it's four fifteen, I feel like anything that starts with the number four, that ain't a good day at the office. And it comes with gas. The other day, Brianna and I were driving. It was three ninety nine. I think I cut off sixteen people in traffic. I did an immediate left turn in a right lane only, and just went across like lanes going this way. I went this way because that's the only place I ever saw three under uh, under three uh, under four dollars in quite some time. I went there. I didn't even need gas. I just put like two gallons in just so I could say I bought it under four dollars a gallon. That's how desperate I was. I didn't even need it. The reality of it is, we are not in living in the best of times. In fact. One literary writer said it like this one time. He said, "These were the best of times, and then these were the worst of times." See, the reality of it is, we have experienced the best of times when life was great. Money's in the bank, gas is real good. Man, we're going on vacation. We're living the dream. Some of y'all have boats. I bet when y'all fill up that boat, y'all remember what it was like having to fill it up with less than four dollars a gallon. <laughs> Some of y'all have diesel trucks. Y'all pray to God that that diesel just goes a long way. you like, God, I know diesel trucks don't normally get 30 miles to the gallon, but can this one do it? Because it's expensive to buy that stuff right now. I'm getting ready to buy a moped. I've decided I think I'd look good on one. I'm going to get one of them little multicolored helmets, and I'm going to scooter myself to church because it's cheaper. I'm not ready for a motorcycle, but I think a moped, I could survive that a little bit, and I'm going to ride it and get my 35 miles to the gallon only going 45 miles per hour and looking like I can barely fit on this adult vehicle. But I think I thought about that. I told somebody that this morning. I said, I'm going to buy a moped. It's cheaper. They said, where are you going to put the car seat? I said, I hadn't thought that far yet. That's just for me right now. I guess I have to drive the SUV the week's Mike and if Brandon wants to ride on, she's going to have to get a side cart and attach it to the side of the moped, and we'll ride shotgun. That's how we'll have to do it. You now, that's the way it is. You've got to save gas somehow. The reality of it is we're not living in the best of times. You see, the leaders in our nation for many years, all the way back since 2001 and 2002, and back when the elections flipped in 2011 area, in that time period, all the, whether it was a Republican or a Democrat or a Tea Party or a Green Party or a whatever party, they all had a strategy how they were going to fix the economy. It's been like one of the most hot topics of Uh, national headlines in terms of political gamuts and arenas every time you have presidential candidate debates they always bring up something about the economy every time how are you going to fix taxes? How are you going to cut taxes? How are you going to fix this? How are you going to open the pipelines? Are you not going to open the pipelines? How are you going to? Is it going to be ethanol free or is it going to have more ethanol in it than it should have? What are we going to do? How are we going to regulate it? What are we going to do about green energy? What are we going to do about climate control? What are we going to do about the ozone layer? What are we going to do about pollution? And I'm thinking, what are we going to do about paying for our bills? Because everybody has a plan. And some of them. They don't say it's their bailout plan, but it's their bailout plan. Going, that's how they're gonna fix the world. Now some of it is socialism. That ain't gonna fix the world. That's already been tried before in history. That didn't work out so well, Bernie. Didn't work so well. Some of it's more like Marxism and, and some of it's more, more more like dictatorship. That that didn't work. We saw what that happened in Germany, how how that kind of stuff worked. It compliance didn't always mean compliance and, and it didn't always end well according to history. Joseph Stalin and his regime in Russia proved that that doesn't always work so well. Benito Mussolini in Italy tried some of his stunts, and that didn't always end so well. Alexander the Great trying to conquer the world, and he ended up having some mishaps along the way. I mean, you just look at history and find out it don't always work the way you think it's going to work. But when I take a large volume of work through Scripture... And through personal experience and through listening to other people's stories, I have never found from a historical context any time God's plan didn't work. Never. I have seen where Benito Mussolini's didn't work and Joseph uh, or, or Adolf Hitler's or Joseph Stalin's didn't work. I've, I've seen where Winston Churchill was great, but some of his plans didn't work and JFK and Ronald Reagan, some of them had great plans, but maybe some of them didn't work. I've seen where different presidents had ideas and I've seen some have churches that have pastors that had a good plan, but their plan didn't always go the way it was designed to do or it didn't go the way it seemed fit. But when it was all said and done, I have never seen where God did something and it didn't work. Never. Never. And I don't think he's going to start now failing on his plan. In fact, I read to you in 2 Kings chapter 10 that when Jehu met with these people, one of the things he was doing is he brought them together because he realized that some things had to change. Because what we were doing right now, the status quo wasn't working. See, I learned a long time ago, and many of you probably already know this as well, if things aren't working, then something's got to change. You've often heard people say if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But sometimes it may not be broke, but it needs a better job because productivity is not working. It still needs some improvement along the way. Just because it's bro- ain't broke, don't mean it don't can't be working better, or can't be affi- being more efficient in its in its productivity. Sometimes it doesn't have to be broke. Why do we have to wait for it to broke? Let me just go ahead and tell those online and in the house: we already are living in a broken society. We already have a broken economy. We already have a broken political system. We already have a broken church system. We already are a people full of broken hearts and broken lives, and pews every Sunday and chairs every Wednesday. We have a church full of brokenness. We have a world full of brokenness. We don't have to look for it. It's already happening. So we don't need to worry about it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. It is broke. Something has to fix it. I can't fix it, but God can. But God can. Psalms 50 and 10 tells us that Every animal belongs to him. He says the cattle on a thousand hills are his, and everything else belongs to him. Haggai 2, 7 through 9 says this, I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come unto me, and I will fill my house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, which means God's not broke. Hello. God doesn't, now we do like you to pay your tithes and offerings because it helps pay the light bill and all the other issues that we have to pay for around here, but God does not need your money to survive. And the Bible said God loves a cheerful giver. I had somebody not too long ago approach me and say, well pastor, I mean I'm going to give to that, to, the, to the, their church, it wasn't here, it was another church, I'm going to give to certain things in my church, but I'm going to tell you what, I don't want to do it. You know what I told them, I said don't do it. They said, Why? well I can't believe you say that, you're a preacher, why'd you say that? I said, because I don't want you to curse your church. And they say, what do you mean, preacher? I said, because God doesn't want to cur- I don't have to curse the money that he's trying to bless. Because if you- the Bible says he loves a cheerful giver. If you're going to give it begrudgingly, he don't want it. He doesn't need it. I, I'm not saying that you shouldn't honor God with your first fruits. But I come by to tell somebody this evening that the Bible is very clear that the silver and the gold belongs to the Lord. God's not broke. He doesn't need an economic stimulus check. He doesn't need a bailout plan. He is the plan. The Bible said, for I have plans for you, declares the Lord. So it's to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope. and God doesn't need your plans. The best made plans of mice and men often go awry. He doesn't need it. He already knows the plan because he's the author and perfecter of all plans. He is the plan giver. He says, I, the silver, the gold, are mine. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, talking about the temple. But it was a metaphorical symbolism of that one day God's presence would be so strong that people wouldn't even be able to explain how the presence of God was so surreal in the house. He said this place will be a place of peace, says the Lord. So there's a couple things you have to understand about God's bailout plan. Before you can have a bailout plan, you first got to figure out what the problem is. You can't bail out something you don't know what you're paying for. We haven't learned that in, the America, in America yet. We had not figured that out. We just send out money but don't figure out what the problem is. The problem is not that people need money. The problem is people need to work. There's a difference. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fifty people on Facebook Live just went off air. I know that. I already lost friends right now. The problem is that not everybody in the world... Now, some people need assistance. Don't get me wrong. I believe... Benevolence. The Bible tells us that the early church would do things to help the people of God. They would they would break they would make food and they would bring it. They would help support one another. The Bible said pure and defiled, uh, pure and undefiled religion before God is to take care of the widows and the orphans. I know we're, that's why the Church of God has home for children. That's why some of you support the home for children. This church supports the home for children in, in uh, Simpsonville and, and 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 others do that. We we believe and we do missions. We're not saying people don't need help, but there are sometimes people can help themselves. Because the reality of it is, the issue in our world, plaguing our world today, is not that people need money, they need to learn responsibility. Because what we have created in our society by giving out free stuff is we have created a lazy generation. Where the idea is, you owe me rather than me earn what I am supposed to be given. See, some of y'all have been living long enough that you earned every dime you made. You saved, you penny-pinched, you did what you had to do to give your kids a good life. You, Some of you may still do that, or some of you may live comfortably now, but you worked for everything you have to your name. But some of us in this room, some watching online, have grandchildren, haven't learned that principle yet. They expect when they walk to Mimi's house or they walk to Nana's house or they walk to Gigi's house that as soon as they say, I need 20 bucks, it shouldn't be a question of why. You should just hand me the money. And when they don't get it, they want to cop a royal attitude, pitch a temper tantrum, and act like they're a two-year-old again because why, how do you have the audacity to tell me no? Do you not know who I am? Yes, I do. Jobless. That's what you are. That's what you are. Now, my son is five Sometimes it frustrates Brianna when I do this. But he'll come to me and say something, and I'll say, do you have a job? We'll walk into a store. Hey, Daddy, can I have this, you know, some little chocolate egg? I was like, do you have money? Well, I have money in my piggy bank. I said, okay. You want me to buy it and take money? out. said, well, no, I don't want to do that. Okay. A few minutes later, we'll like, oh, Daddy, there's a, there's a Thor action figure. Can I have it? $15 action figure. I said, do you have a job? No, you do. I said, right, but Daddy doesn't want it, so I'm not buying it. Daddy doesn't need Thor. Now, you could say, Pastor, you're so heartless. Well, what I'm trying to get him to understand, I will give him things at birthdays. What I'm trying to get him to say, life is not a handout. Life is, there's certain things that there are not expectations. Yes, there are certain things in life that are expectations, but there are some things you get are given because you earned it, not because it's just expected to be given to you. We can't earn our salvation because God already took it, but the Bible says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We can't purchase it, but we we do still have a level of responsibility when we obtain it from the Lord. The reality of it is we live in a society where even grown-ups or like 35-year-old babies, still need pacifiers and formula too bad we're having a national crisis on formula cuz they're going to be out of luck whining about that too now yeah, chicken was the problem now we're out of formula i'm thinking what did they do back before they even had formula i mean come on people like i mean we there's other alternatives here i mean we're making it everything's everything's a crisis we were out of toilet paper for a while like did nobody know that that was going to be a necessity we should still be manufacturing we're out of hand sanitizer now you can find hand sanitizer and toilet paper but you can't find your baby food like what what in the world see we are in a crisis it's a cyclical pattern. In fact, the whole entire book of Judges is nothing more than a cyclical pattern of behavior. God's people are doing good. God's people decide, hey, God, we don't really need you. Life's great. So they put you on a shelf, put him on a shelf. They start intermingling, marrying, hanging out with all the wicked people, of the Philistines, the Amorites, the Amalekites, the Jebusites, the you know, Amorites, the, all the otherites and its and theys and thems, and they get in captivity. They get conquered. Then they get put in slavery. Then they get mad and upset, oh God, what have we done? We've turned our back on you. Oh, this is such a problem. And the Lord, in His merciful compassion, raises up a judge. He raises up Samson. He raises up Ehud. He raises up uh, 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 all these different Deborah and Barak and all these other uh, judges. And they come and they deliver the nation of Israel. And while they're, in judging, while they're still the judge of Israel, they live from a time period of peace. As soon as that judge dies, guess what happens? They go back to living the life with the sinners again, hanging out with them. Then they get in captivity again. Then they get... ask God, God we screwed up again God said yeah I noticed and so they ask for forgiveness God raises up another judge and they come and they get them out of bondage and captivity and they live in peace guess what happens judge dies, guess what they do they go back to their same old see if you keep walking in the same cyclical pattern you're going to still get the same result nothing changes if you walk around in a circle sometimes you have to break the circle to get a different result you know what walking around in circles will do for you? Make you dizzy and tired and faint. That's what broken the circle. If you don't believe it, just stand up, walk around in circles a few times, see what happens to you. Half of y'all would drop right here on the floor, and I'd have to do CPR on you. It gets you dizzy, and it literally, it gets you dizzy, and you faint. I mean, let's be real. It doesn't accomplish anything. Because the reality of it is. The world we live in today, and I'm not just bashing the, the United States government, I, I'm talking about even in the church world, church world's got the same problems. We, we got church issues going on in the world today where we keep doing the same cyclical patterns knowing the results are not going to be the same because we keep getting the same results. We, we still sing the same songs. We still do the same this. We still do the same that. We've seen how this person over here, their church did this, and it didn't work. So, you know, what we think, well, let's bring it to our church and see if it works. Well, they don't work at our church. Then we wonder why. See, there's some things we don't learn. The Bible said, the, 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 one uh, historian said, and one wise proverb once said, those who don't learn from history are often the ones destined to repeat such things because if we don't learn from it, we're going to keep making the same mistakes, the same problems, hitting the same potholes, wouldn't you think that if you're driving a car down 52 and you get to a certain spot of 52 and a crater opens up out of the earth on the asphalt and your car goes down in it and comes back out on the other side and about three more pieces of your undercarriage of your car is behind you in the rear view mirror than what used to was attached to your car but now it's attached to the asphalt back there and you're still able to drive but it's a little bit shakier and your car is making all kinds of unidentifiable noises you can't explain and you drive it. You know what you're going to do the next time you go by that? You're going to go at 80 miles an hour again and hit that same hole, aren't you, just to see what the rest of your car will do, won't you? You want to see how many more pieces fall off during that moment. No. You're going to either get in the other lane or you're going to slow down or you're going to navigate detour route because you know that it's not going to be good. Why do we think, and when we talk about our Christianity and our walk with the Lord, why do we think continuing to live in sin and still follow the same patterns is going to get a different result? We have to realize that you have to make necessary changes in order for God to bail us out of the situations we are in. If we don't, I I have, I mean, I don't say me personally, but the Bible has a solution. How are we going to fix it? In fact, in 2 Chronicles, the Bible gives us the exact replica of how to get out of a bailout plan. If the people of God will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. But there's one more line and we don't always read effectively. I will heal their land. That's talking about the nation. But the key is God doesn't fix the nations till the people of God do something first. It says, if my people shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then not I'll fix their land and I'll heal their land and I'll bless them and all that stuff. And then if they decide to pray, that'd be a good bonus. No, no. We have to submit under the mighty hand of God so that in return he exalts us up in due time. We have a responsibility first. See, that's the problem. We don't discover the problem. Jehu knew there was a problem. He said, Look, all my forefathers before me, my father, my grandfather, my great-grandfather, all my family, they served these idols called Baal. And our world was in a turmoil. So he talks to his advisors and he said, Look, the only thing I can think to do is we've got to get rid of Baal. God's not going to bless us until we get rid of him, rid of Baal, and get him out of the equation. We're not getting anywhere. So he tells them that this had to be done. See, we have labeled in the United States and in other nations of the world, they have often labeled different things to be the source of the problem, whether it's an economic downfall. You hear it all the time. Well, this party is at fault. Well, that party's at fault. Well, this party spends too much. This party doesn't want you to have health care. This part's drying up Social Security. This part's expanding welfare plans. This part doesn't have foreign you know, foreign policies to protect the nation. This party, this, this, this. The problem is we all have problems. That's just the fact of the matter. See, the king knew that idolatry was misleading the nation, so he devised a plan. He came up with a plan. He said, look, it's, an, it's not enough to talk about the problem we got to come up with a course of action to address the problem. See, in the world we're living in today, spiritually speaking, there's a lot of people that go to church. They like to talk about their problems. They just don't like to do anything about the problem. Oh, plenty of people go by the preacher's offices and ple- plenty of people call sister so-and-so or brother so-and-so on the phone and tell them all the problems of the world. Well, you know Church didn't do this. You know, they don't take up the offering the way I would. You know, they don't sing what I like. You know, they don't they don't have the right musicians that I like. You know, they don't play my favorite. They got plenty of ideas, if you will, of how to tell you what the problem is. You know why the church ain't growing? It's because that preacher. That preacher's always preaching on this, and he's always harping on that, and he's always this. He's just nagging us about this, and he's nagging. Hey, I'll tell you, if he'd do this, and he'd do that, and he'd do the other, and, you know, if that singer would sing more like this and do this, Daniel, I'll tell you what, if Jimmy Swagger was our pastor, we'd grow. Well, Jimmy's not coming. He has his own church that he's worried about in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So he's not coming. So you're stuck with me. I'm little Jimmy. That's what you got. The reality of it is, the bottom line is, unfortunately is this. That when we talk about problems, it's not enough to talk about things. You have to sometimes take action to things. If you know your hot water heater... It's not working. You can sit in the house all day long and tell your wife how bad it is to have to take a cold shower. But until you put a new hot water heater in, you know what y'all gonna do? Y'all gonna take a cold shower. You can just suck it up. That's what you're gonna do. So until you call Brother Henry and say, hey, my hot water heater's not working. I'm gonna need you to come fix this hot water heater. You know what you're gonna do? Freeze. Welcome to Mission Trip 101. You'll learn to go on a mission trip with us next time. That's all you got. We're teaching you how to do missions. Look at it as a positive thing. Well, you know, if your air conditioning goes out you don't call Robbie Huggins to come by and fix your air conditioner, you know what you're going to do? Sweat. You complain how hot it is all you want to, you're going to just sweat until you put feet to action. But somehow in spiritual matters, we think that we just talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. I told somebody not too long ago, instead of talking about the problem, why don't you become part of the solution? If you know what the problem is, instead of complaining about it, why don't you help us fix it? You know what they told me? Oh, that's not my gift no, your giftedness is complaining. You're an Israelite. You're good at that. That's what you're good at. The reality of it is, but the reality what I'm trying to convey is it's not enough to just talk about the issues. It's not enough to just go right around, and I'm not even talking about the political just uh, John, uh, scene anymore. I'm talking about in the church. It's not enough for us to talk about what sin is. It's not enough to talk about what it. Is it's sometimes we have to put feet in action. We got to pray that the sin come out of their life. We got to pray they'll come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We can't just say, "Oh, pastor, I, you know, I hope that so and so son or daughter gets healed. Oh, I hope so and so son and daughter gets saved." No, pray about it. Ask God to do something. Sometimes we can't talk about it because you can talk to me all you want to. I can't fix it. But if you talk to Him, we say it this morning if I have a little talk with Jesus it'll make everything all right it'll fix it all you can talk to me to your blue in the face all you're gonna do is be unresponsive you talk to God he can fix it see there has to be a plan of action see in the culture that we live in today everybody's about in, uh, making a a new piece of legislature to go through the upper chambers of the house, to be voted on and to be vetted and to be discussed and debated and amended and amalgamated and all that stuff. That's great, but sometimes we just need to realize that it don't matter how many pieces of paper you push on parchment paper through the corridors of a Washington hallway until we talk to the Lord, that piece of paper ain't no much, worth, much not much worth the paper that it's been written on. It ain't worth it. Because the Bible tells us God will curse it. Bible says that a nation that exalted the Lord, he will take care of, but a nation that despises him or turns their back on Israel, he will curse them. You can write anything on a piece of paper all you want to, but if you don't submit to the Lord, it ain't going to work. It won't work. Jehu knew this. So Jehu used his smooth, cunning ability, got everybody to come together for a worship service. He had a plan. But notice what he did. He made sure all of God's people were safe. He sent the guys in. He said, now make sure, go inside the church. Make sure anybody that's a worshiper of Baal, they stay in church. But anybody that's just here, but they, they serve Jehovah, they don't serve Baal, just ask them to politely just step out of the, out of the service. Just politely step out. What he was doing was protecting them because he knew what he was going to do. See, God has a plan. The Bible says that even when multiple stories in the Bible gives us this, this, uh, 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 if you will, golden nugget of truth, even when I am surrounded by my enemies, what they can't see is God's got a hedge of protection around me, even in the midst of the valley of my enemies. Remember the story the Bible says the prophet of God sent a servant out to the edge of the cliff, and he said, what do you see? He said, oh, I see a lot of armies out there, and they're coming after us. We're in trouble the Bible said the prophet of God said Lord open his eyes and let him see what I see and the Bible said he looked back over there and there was a multitude of angelic armies that was on the outside of that and he said now what do you see he said oh there's a whole lot more of them on our side than there's for us than there's against us can I tell you even though one songwriter I think it was Michael W. Smith put it this way he said even when it looks like I'm surrounded Lord I'm surrounded by you the reality of it is that this is how I fight my battles I don't have to do it vengeance as mine saith the Lord I will repay I don't always have to know how to fight it because when the enemy comes around me what he does Realizes God has encircled a hedge of protection all around me, because God knows how to protect His own people. He'll protect His own. So Jehu draws him out. He gets him out. Matthew tells us that the Lord is concerned about the sparrows of the sky. So how much more valuable are you to Him? Psalms 33 and 18 tells us the eyes of the Lord, that truly the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him and on those who have a steadfast love. Psalms 34 and 15 says the eyes of the Lord are always on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cries. But then Jehu decided that it wasn't good enough just to have a plan. He had to execute the plan. You can come up with a plan. You can talk about the problem. You can sit in a boardroom, an executive committee meeting, a council meeting, a a finance committee meeting. Uh, whatever meeting, and come up with all the plans you want. You know what you got to do when you leave the boardroom? Execute them. I'm a basketball coach at heart. I can call a timeout in the middle of a game, and I can draw X's and O's on a board so fast it'll make your head spin. You'll see a bunch of X's and O's you think we're getting ready to run a Hail Mary uh, pass in a football game, and you're like, what in the world is that? this?" There's a bunch of scribble lines, and you're like, that don't even make sense. My team might know what I'm talking about. The average person be like, this is just a bunch of letters and numbers and writings and scribbles on a thing. You know what, though, Sister Alma, that I learned? I can draw the best play in the world. You know what happens if they go out there and they don't do it? It didn't work. I can execute, I can draw it up and say this is what we need to do, but if the pass is supposed to go into Joe, and the guy standing out of bounds throws it to Rodrigo over there, and he misses the ball, guess what, the play didn't work, that wasn't the play, see the reality of it is it's the way, same way spiritually, Say you talk about all the plans you want to, but sometimes you got to execute the plan, it's interesting that I say the word execute the plan, because that's exactly what he did, he executed the plan. Because he got everybody out and he stationed 80 men on the outside and he said, okay, when I come out, you go in and don't you let one person remain alive that's going to thwart the plan of God. He comes out, they go in, they kill all the prophets and the worshipers of Baal. He eradicates, the Bible said he eradicated Baal out of Israel. There's one thing about this story though that intrigued me. See that was a pretty cool story, you know. You might say, "Well pastor, I've not seen my financial blessing or my healing or my prayer answered or you know, the enemy might be still fighting me." You know why? Because maybe you haven't executed your bailout plan right. Maybe you need to turn off the TV. Get off the computer. Reprioritize your day. Get up in the early get up earlier before the children or the spouse rises. Spend more time with the Lord. Pray over your families. Pray over your children. Lead in a way that would be pleasing and honor to God. Be a priest and a protector and a provider and a prophet over the home. Maybe you need to not just talk about it. Maybe you don't even need to devise a plan. Maybe you need to execute the plan. Because talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. I can say all day long anything I want to, but until I do it, talk is cheap. Back in the day, you could go up to a used car salesman or you could go to a dealership and your word was your bond and a handshake was just as good as a signed document. Nowadays, I wouldn't trust them if they were willing to come to my office and sign the papers for me. I wouldn't trust them. can't trust people anymore. Here's what I learned before I get ready to close here in just a moment. See, we have to sometimes move some bales out of our lives too. We have to get some rid of some things in our lives. See, he kills all the prophets and the worshipers, but he doesn't stop there. He sends them back in and says, I want you to tear the pillars out of this house. What he is saying is, I want you to destroy the structure upon which it stands. I want you to destroy it from the all the way down to its foundations. Because until you get back to the basics of the foundations, you still have the potential for it to rebirth and regrow and to recalibrate itself again. See, what JQ knew was something real powerful. I can't just eradicate the people. I got to destroy the. Ex- I got to get to the root of the problem. You see, you can pull up the leaves off the top of the plant, but the roots are still in the bottom. Till you pull up a plant by the roots, it's going to grow back. That weed's going to come back. You got to get the root, so it stops growing. He said, I get to the root of the problem. And so he said, I want you to knock the structure down. Then once you take the pillars out, I want you to just demolish the house. I want it to be rubble. I just want it to be completely destroyed on the ground. I mean, you have seen different things when they go to these buildings and they put these uh, dynamite sticks inside these buildings and they can go in tight quarters and cities and they're trying to, really they will just, the building will just collapse right in that center spot just all the way down just, and it becomes a heap of rubble. Destroyed all the way to the ground, to the foundation. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that two men were building a house. One put his foundation on sand, one put his foundation on rock, The one on sand when the storm came. And well, his house didn't stand so well. It turned into a big pile of rubble. The man who built his house on the rock, it still got hit by the storm, but his whole house didn't. He lost a few shingles, but he still kept his house. It's a whole lot cheaper to replace a couple of shingles than it is to rebuild the whole house. Okay, no how good your insurance is. Reality is this. I thought about that. And then my mind went to this. Ms. Kale, go ahead and make your way. It means nothing, but it sounds good. I thought about this when I was putting this sermon together. See, there are times in our spiritual journey that there'll be spiritual monuments or spiritual memorials that we can go back to in our memory of something that made an impact on our lives or something we can go back to and be like, wow, I remember that moment. Even if it's been years, you can go back and be like, wow. Like for me, I remember when my dad was pastoring at Ridgefield, I remember for 18 months, my entire life consisted of nothing on Friday and Saturdays, building a church. I didn't even know what it was to go play with friends. We built churches for a living. I was a general contractor, and I didn't even know how to do the work. Neither did my dad, but he was paying the bills, so we all went with him. I remember what it was like pouring pea gravel. And... Foundation, putting the rebar, rebar in, putting the block in, pouring rock, and standing there waiting for somebody else to tell us what to do because we didn't know what to do next. We waited for Brother Henry or that time guy, by the name of Brother Herb, steal somebody else to come by and say what to do next right now. We just stand there. We done what you said to do, but we're stuck. We don't know what to do next. Then after that got finished, but see, then I remember we built a church. And I remember when we built the church, I remember we went inside, and I remember men like. Timmy Witzka hanging upside down with just a shoestring of a strap holding him up, trying to put hurricane clips on the rooftop and the rafters. He put more of those things on there than anything in the that, The whole building could have blew away, but the roof would have stayed attached. It was so secure. I remember watching that, thinking, God, I hope he don't fall. What you didn't know is the reason Timmy Witzker was up there was he actually did fall. He used to cut trees for them, fell out of about 75 feet out of a tree, cut the wrong branch, and it slung shot him, and he landed on asphalt on his back. He's already fallen out on the concrete before, but you know what he did? He got up on a rafter because he's like, but I'm doing God's house. He'll take care of me up here. That's what happened. I remember that. I remember people like Ray Burrow who couldn't, because of health reasons, couldn't climb up scaffolding and couldn't go up there, but sat down in a white chair. Like those fellowship boys, You know, sat in a white chair at a table saw brother calls But the man had a mind like you would be smart as a whip. He knew how to build just about anything. He was just a smart man. And he would, as they were putting the pine ceilings, see, we, we didn't bring a good general contractor in to put the pine ceilings. Men took off a whole week worth of work from their jobs. And I remember that people like Andrew Boffman's dad, Brother John, be up in that rafter, Brother Johnny Adams and others, and they would yell down, I need one. You know, 36 and three quarters. You know what Brother Ray would do? Sit there and grab a board. he cut it. Perfect precision. Send it by some little aide that would run it up the scaffolding and pass it up so those men didn't have to come down and cut it. He sat down there on that chair and he just cut boards. Remember that. They pass What they got to do with the story? Well, I'll tell you what they asked to do with the story. None of that happens until this story. My mom and then we're coming back from a women's retreat. Some women on a van. And next door to the church at the time was a, del- was a, already, should have been already condemned house where the church was going to eventually sit. And that man, there was a lady there, and a couple that lived there that just were belligerent people. They were just hateful people. Started cussing, ranting, and raving at them coming out of the parking lot of the church. Had one lady in the church was about to climb the fence. She was uh, one of those uh, Indians from Utahville. She cut you and then hoped you died and then prayed for you. She was gonna jump the fence. I'm not kidding y'all. This is the truth. Y'all laugh. This she was gonna jump in. My mom grabbed her by the collar, pulled her back, and said, No, ma'am. She was gonna claw that woman's eyes out. Now you can call, talk to us like that. I remember when those people finally moved out, Brother Jeff. I remember my dad approached that guy, asked about the, about the house. It was a it was a dilapidated, it was a sham to live in. My dad asked him about possibly buying the house. You know what the man said? It'll be a cold day in hell before I sell it to a church. That's his exact words. My dad said, Okay. That's all he said, "Walk back to his office. Months went by. We didn't call him. Guess what he did? He called us. Y'all interested in buying that house? Yeah, we already told you we were interested, but you were, you know, not so eager to sell. We bought that house. We went in there to look at it to see what it would look like. Termite infested, board rotten. I mean, it was nasty. You wouldn't even want your dog to live in it, let's put anybody else in it. Say, so, well, Pastor, what's that still got to do with the with this story? Because here's what we did. The guy across the street came to our church too, and he was a general contractor and he had a bulldozer. And my dad one day said, Yeah, I don't really know what we're gonna do with the house. You know, we probably one day just gonna need to bulldozer it or do something. I don't know what we're gonna do with it, you know we got to think about it. He said, well, Pastor, what do, you th- what do you mean? You know, you're just going to take it all the way down to the foundation? Yeah, I mean, probably, you know. I don't know. You know, it ain't going to be no good. It would be more money and expense to try to fix it than it's worth. Probably just tear it down. Brother James, he went back to his office. This is God's honest truth. He hadn't even talked to his council. He hadn't even told the church this was going to happen yet. It's a wonder we didn't get fired that week. Thank God we didn't because I still was able to eat for one more week. About, I don't know, an hour or two later, Brother Randy, my dad's sitting there studying for Sunday, and he hears. And my dad thought, oh, my God. Somebody just hit our building. He goes to the where that church was at. We had the end of the ramp. The end of it, you go to the end of the hallway, and it led to a wheelchair ramp that led out to the end of the church. He opened the door. You know what they had done? The man went across the street and got his bulldozer and pushed the house over. We didn't even tell the church we're pushing it over yet bulldozing it, just slapped to the ground, put it in the backyard, it was in a rubble. Big heaping pile of rubble all the way to the foundations. My dad said, I don't know what we bought the property even for now. I mean, we, that time weren't even sure what we were going to do with the property. My dad was reading one day in his Bible and he read a scripture that says, unless the Lord builds a house, those that labor, they labor in vain. Shortly thereafter, with the church growing and things like that, my father ended up talking to his council, talking to the church. He said, you know what I think is supposed to be there? The church. God's house. The glory of the latter house shall be greater than that of the former house. And we began construction on that building I described to you earlier, not too long thereafter. Now, I remember all the stories about the cussing, ranting and raving it'll be a cold day and you know where before we give you this church this property but God wanted the building but he also wanted the property and we had to take it all the way down to the foundations We had to get rid of all the bales of that section of property and tear it all the way back down to its foundation because Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, had to be the foundation of that building. So we just took the house right on out. We basically took Satan's house and just pushed it in the backyard. Guess what we did? We lit it on fire. We sent Satan right back to hell where he belonged. We just lit that sucker on fire in the backyard, got it back down to the concrete you know what we started doing? We started erecting a house for the Lord. I remember this Sunday morning that we were dedicating the building. We walked in that house my dad for months and prayed God let your spirit move in this place to just let us know we did the right thing. We had a regular service and then we had a 2 o'clock afternoon singing as the dedication of that service. I'm telling you before we could even finish dinner we got back in that building the glory of the Lord came down in that place. People were speaking in tongues shouting all over the place. People laid out in the spirit. God was moving in that place then the glory of the house transitioned from that piece of property on the left hand side of the building but it transitioned over to this piece of property over here and God's spirit came this is what I'm trying to tell you church that when we trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding and in all our ways acknowledge Him He'll make sure it all works out because God's bailout plan never has been Failed. it's never been proven to be wrong but when god does it he does it right he does it effectively and he completes the task i come by to tell you tonight that whatever god has for this church whatever god has for your life if you let god be the one that bails you out you don't have to worry about what will happen god will see you through to the end he'll see you through so here's what you got to understand Sometimes you just got to make it a habit. They say it takes 21 days to create a habit. It takes 21 days to make it a habit. Three weeks. I close with this story that I read. Some say this is a true story. I don't know. This is what I was told. It was true. There was a young man. He was getting ready to graduate high school. About three months before he was getting ready to graduate high school, his dad, because of his grades being stellar, getting a full ride to college, just a good kid. Started taking him to the local dealership. Started showing him this sports car that his son always said he wanted. Kept showing it to him. Every day they'd go by and look at it. They test drove it. His son started falling in love with it. He said, Dad, I want that. Dad, I want that. He's like, well, you know, graduation's coming up. You know, you you just never know. Kept showing, him, kept showing it to 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 him. Graduation day rolled around. His dad caught him in the study that morning before they were getting ready to head out for the ceremonies. He said, Son, shut the door to my office for you before we head out. The son shuts the door. He said, Son, I want to give you your present before we leave. Boy, his eyes were big. He was excited. He was like, Oh, he got me that car." He handed him a box man opened the box thinking he's going to find a key to that sports car. He found a Bible. A black leather Bible with his name etched in gold trim. He got angry. He slammed the Bible down. He walked out and he said, I can't believe you. You showed me that car. You told me because I had good grades and this, that, and the other. You showed it to me and then all you give me is a Bible? What do I want with this piece of trash? walked out did graduation went off to college he graduated college he never came home didn't call his dad through college kept in touch with his mom didn't call his dad through college he grew up became a successful businessman of his own bought plenty of cars they had a beautiful house had a wife couple kids who had never met his parents never met his dad his parents because he was still mad about that sports car and that bible that he got He got word that his dad was sick through the grapevine. So he thought to himself, you know, I need to be the bigger man. I need to go see my dad, and I need to make this right. So he kept saying he was going to do it, but he had a plan, but he never executed the plan. So one day his wife said, you really need to go this weekend. Well, before Friday came along, on Wednesday afternoon, he received a message from one of his family members that his dad died. And that his dad, had, since he was an only child, had left him not only the executor of the will, even though they had not spoken in years, the dad had left him everything he owned. Everything. So Brother James, he goes back to that same office with tears streaming down his face, realizing that he can't make it right with his dad. He can't do this. He can't. He, he, there's no way he can fix it. All the hurtful things he said over the years. He's shuffling through the papers, trying to get all the stuff to take to the funeral home and make sure he's got all the stuff he needs to to settle the estate. And on the corner of this very ornate desk, sitting on the top right hand side in the corner of the edge of this expensive desk, laid a box. still had his name on it. He had grabbed the box and he slid it back. He opened it up. You know what he found inside? He found that gold trimmed Bible, black leather Bible with his name gold trim. And he opened that Bible began to read the Bible there was a couple scriptures that the dad had highlighted in that Bible like trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not in your own understanding all your ways acknowledge him he'll make your pathway straight I have plans for you declares the Lord all these encouraging scriptures then he flipped to one passage that said the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life He kept reading and finally his eyes were taken to a scripture that said this, if you being men know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so does your heavenly father have good things in store for you? And on top of that scripture, Brother Dennis, was taped a key to a car. And on that tag, he recognized the name of the dealership that, for 25 years earlier, where they had went to that thing. And you know what it read? Son, this car has been paid in full. See, here's what I'm coming out to tell you: God, when He does it, He does it right. God sent His Son many, many years ago that paid the debt in full. But some people in this world, some of us, some people in this world, like I talked about this morning. They have lost the reality of realizing that God wants us to sometimes come sit in his study. He wants us to open up his word. And sometimes he just wants to say to us, I've already paid for it, but you need to have a plan. These are the plans I have for you, says the Lord. These are what I want you to do because God has a plan for our lives. God has a plan for your children. God has a plan for your grandchildren. God has a plan for our church. But we have to execute the plan. The story concluded with the boy standing there, tears streaming down his face, holding what, what he deemed was a failed promise. Because at that point, Brother James, when he went to the dealership, the dealership at that time had went out of business, sold to another company. He went and he showed them, they said, we don't even know what that car is. He had the rights to a brand new sports car, but he missed it all because did not listen to the advice and heed the words of his father. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to remiss the rewards of heaven because they do not heed and listen to the advice of our heavenly father. The only plan we need is a bailout plan that comes from God and nobody else but God himself. Would you stand all over the house with every head bowed and every eye closed? For time's sake, I don't want to keep you here too terribly long. But I want to pray a prayer of faith over each and every one of your lives today, over your family, over your children, and over your jobs, your communities. But let me encourage you today that do not put your trust. The Bible said some may trust in chariots, some may trust in horses, but we must trust in the name of our God best plan you can have in this life is to make sure God is the God of your life. Heavenly Father, to the very best of my ability, I have done my best to convey your word to the people of God. I have tried to share your word, encourage this body of believers, and help us to be able to make it one more week in our journey of faith with you. Father, I pray that You let this word resonate in our hearts and speak to our lives. God, let us not let this word fall on deaf ears, but let it, God, be a word that is transformational, challenges us, chastises us, and changes us. Father, we pray today that you would bless us and keep us and your face, shine upon us, you'd be gracious to us, lift up your countenance towards us and give us the peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. And let the words of our mouths and meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask this time Pastor Calsy if he would pray our benedictory prayer. And immediately following this benedictory prayer, you can be dismissed tonight. God bless you.